This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. Mr. Alzheimer reports he walked up to the vehicle and asked Sheriff Troyer why he was being followed, stating, is it because I'm Black? He also asked the sheriff if he was a police officer because he recognized him. According to Mr. Alzheimer, Sheriff Troyer replied, my wife is Black, to which Mr. Alzheimer said, congratulations. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. This episode of Crossing Division is a two-part recording that we're going to do on the recent criminal charges filed against our Sheriff Ed Troyer of Pierce County, Washington. And part two, we'll be reading through the investigative report also into the Sheriff's conduct, the investigative report that was um, contracted for by the uh, Pierce County Council. Part one, misdemeanor criminal charges against Sheriff Ed Troyer. This is the Declaration for Determination of Probable Cause that has been filed by the State Attorney General's Office and will lead to, likely, uh, unless there's some deal made, a criminal prosecution. Here we go. Declaration for Determination of Probable Cause. Melanie Tratnick and Barbara A. Serrano declare under penalty of perjury We are assistant attorneys general and are familiar with the police reports, body camera video, police radio traffic, and computer-aided dispatch, CAD, reports produced as a result of an incident in Tacoma, Washington, on or about January 27, 2021, Tacoma Police Incident Report Number 2102-700-104. We also reviewed investigative reports and witness statements collected by Bradley Graham and Jacqueline Franklin, senior investigators at the Attorney General's Office, AGO. The police reports and additional investigation provided the following information. One, newspaper carrier is followed. Cedric Altimer works as a newspaper carrier six days a week delivering papers for several news organizations, including the Tacoma News Tribune. In January 2021, Alzheimer typically began his shift about midnight and delivered the last newspaper by 3 a.m. Alzheimer drives his car, a 1995 Geoprism, with headlights on while delivering newspapers. He turns the high beams on to light his way as he approaches each house. When delivering to a house, Alzheimer sometimes pulls into the driveway to drop the newspaper near the front door or put it in a plastic tube attached to the house near the door or near the street. Alzheimer told investigators that while working his route in the early morning hours of January 27, 2021, in the city of Tacoma and within Pierce County, he was in his car on Vista View Drive when he noticed a white SUV appeared to be following him. Police reports and body camera video later showed that the driver of the SUV was Edward Troyer, 
hereafter, Troyer. Troyer is the sheriff of Pierce County and a longtime law enforcement officer. Alzheimer did not state what time he noticed the SUV following him. However, his account and description of the following events indicate it was shortly before 2 a.m. on January 27, 2021. After observing the white SUV following him on Vista Drive, Alzheimer drove to North 23rd Street and Harmon Street to deliver newspapers to homes in that neighborhood. Alzheimer saw the white SUV a second time when he returned to Vista View Drive. Alzheimer pulled into a driveway on Vista View Drive and stepped out to drop a newspaper at the house. The SUV came to a stop on a street nearby. Alzheimer continued his route on Vista View Drive and Narrows Drive, then stopped at another house to deliver a newspaper. Alzheimer recalled stopping for a delivery at 2819 Narrows Drive when he noticed the white SUV stop nearby a third time. Alzheimer pulled into the driveway and got out of his car with a newspaper in his hand. His car headlights were turned on. After placing a newspaper inside the plastic tube near the front door, Alzheimer decided to approach the white SUV to find out why he was being followed. The SUV was parked across the street from the house where Alzheimer had just delivered a newspaper. Alzheimer said he walked up the driver's side door of the SUV. He said he had nothing in his hand when he approached Troyer's vehicle, nor did he touch the SUV. The window was rolled down. Troyer was sitting in the driver's seat. Alzheimer did not immediately recognize Troyer or realize he is the Pierce County Sheriff. Alzheimer, who was black, asked Troyer why he was following him and, is it because I'm black? Troyer told him, my wife is black. Alzheimer responded, congratulations. Alzheimer asked Troyer if he was a cop. Troyer did not answer the question, nor did he identify himself as the sheriff or a law enforcement officer. Alzheimer described it as a casual conversation. He said Troyer seemed relaxed and was holding a cell phone in his hand. Troyer had questions for Alzheimer. What are you doing out there? Do you know where you are? Troyer accused Alzheimer of being a thief, telling him, you're a porch pirate. Alzheimer did not answer Troyer's questions. Instead, he turned and walked away from Troyer. Alzheimer said that when he walked away, Troyer moved his SUV and adjusted the car's position, which Alzheimer took to mean, like he's not done with me. Troyer called after him, loud enough for Alzheimer to hear. Hey. Don't walk away. I have four cops coming. Alzheimer responded, good. After he got back into his car, Alzheimer said he hit the gas and drove away. Boyer made a U-turn and followed Alzheimer on his newspaper route. Alzheimer said he felt Troyer was being aggressive, so he sped up to try to get away from him. Alzheimer drove toward Deidre Circle, a cul-de-sac located a few blocks from Troyer's house. Alzheimer described this part of the event as, he's following me. I'm speeding to Deidre Circle. He's got a bigger car. He's on me. Rather than continue driving, Alzheimer turned around. He stopped his car in the middle of North 27th Street, 
facing eastbound and towards the front end of Troyer's approaching SUV. Troyer pulled up to a stop in the middle of the street, facing westbound and the front of Alzheimer's car. Their vehicles were situated about 50 feet apart. Alzheimer took out his cell phone and, from the driver's seat of his car, began taking pictures of Troyer's SUV. Two, Troyer calls 911 dispatcher. At approximately 2.05 a.m., Troyer called the office line at the Pierce County 911 Communications Building in Tacoma, Washington. The officer line bypasses the 911 telephone lines and rings directly to the 911 dispatch desk. Officers typically use this back channel phone line to make routine requests or seek information. Dispatcher Conrad Shadel was on duty and answered Troyer's phone call. He is employed by South Sound 911, a public agency that provides emergency communication services for law enforcement throughout the South Sound region. Hey, this is Troyer, the sheriff said at the beginning of the call. Shadel recognizes Troyer's voice. What can I do for you? Shadel asked. Troyer's call to the 911 dispatcher lasted approximately four minutes and 50 seconds. Troyer's report to the dispatcher continued as follows. Troyer, I'm at 27th and Deidre in Tacoma, North End, about two blocks from my house, and I caught someone in my driveway who just threatened to kill me. And I blocked him in, and he's here right now. Shadel. Okay, go again with your address, Troyer. But, well, my address is, I'm at 27th and Deidre. Shadel, okay. Troyer, and he's in some sort of gray car, and he was in my driveway, in my neighbor's driveway, and he knows who I am, and he threatened to kill me. I got him blocked in at 27th and Deidre. Troyer's call lasted just under five minutes, during which Troyer stated four times that someone had threatened to kill him. Troyer also stated during the call that the person blocked me in with his vehicle. Based on the information Troyer provided, Jadel said he believed the sheriff is going through an active confrontation with someone trying to kill him. Consequently, he decided to handle the call with the highest priority as an officer needs help call. Shadel electronically communicated information provided by Troyer to dispatcher Leah Heiberg, who sent the call to all law enforcement agencies in Pierce County at the highest priority level. According to Heiberg, this priority level is reserved for officer needs help calls and if the mountain explodes an apparent reference to Mount Rainier. Three, emergency response. Moments after receiving information that had come from Troyer, over 40 law enforcement officers from multiple agencies rushed toward Troyer's location, 27th and Deidre Circle in Tacoma, Washington. At 2.05.12, the CAD entry to officers reads, 27th Deidre, making threats to kill. Seconds later, officers were told that Troyer had called in and reported that a male subject was making threats to kill him. No weapons were seen and that the male was possibly homeless. 
While officers were, were en route, Shadel stayed on the line with Troyer, trying to gather more details about the other driver, Alzheimer, who was now being identified as a suspect. Shadel told Troyer he had units headed your way. Troyer said he tried to back up and let the other driver go, but he blocked me in. Troyer said he tried to be polite, but he just says I'm a racist. He wants to kill me. So Troyer initially told Shadel two times that he had the other driver blocked in. Then Troyer said, hang on, he's not going to let me leave. Troyer also told the dispatcher, he's pushing against my car. This information was transmitted to officers over the radio and through the dispatch log. Toward the end of the call, Troyer told Shadel he had been at home and saw a car entering driveways. He said he thought the driver was kind of a thief that has a garage door opener. So he got in his personal vehicle, a Chevy Tahoe, to follow the car. After he followed the driver, Troyer said the driver blocked me off and accosted me and said, you're a cop, and started threatening me. Shadel told AGO investigators he handled the call as a high priority because he felt Troyer was in danger after being told the other driver was making threats to kill him. He worried the sheriff might have been targeted. Heiberg also cited Troyer's statements about threats to kill and that the driver knew Troyer was an off-duty officer as the basis for dispatching units at the highest priority levels. Based on the details from Shadel, who was transmitting information from Troyer, Heiberg thought someone was trying to kill the Pierce County Sheriff. He was possibly being hit with a car. Heiberg said she was picturing him in a dead end, in a cul-de-sac in trouble, and needing help from fellow officers. Shadel kept Troyer on the line until officers arrived. Four. Officers find no emergency. Tacoma police officers Chad Lawless and Corey Ventura were the first officers to arrive at scene at 2.09 a.m. They were traveling in a marked police car and pulled up to the left behind Alzheimer's car. A dispatcher asked for an update. You have all of county en route if you could advise, the dispatcher said. Officer Lawless observed that Alzheimer's car and Troyer's SUV were parked in the middle of the street and situated about 50 feet apart. The headlights were on. Neither car was moving and neither car was preventing the other vehicle from leaving. Alzheimer was sitting in the driver's seat of the Geo Prism and Troyer was sitting in his Chevy Tahoe. Officer Lawless told dispatch they only needed one more Tacoma police unit to handle the situation. We don't need the whole world coming, he said. 911 dispatchers immediately canceled the officer needs help call, allowing officers and sheriff's deputies who were en route to shut off their sirens and make themselves available for other calls. Ultimately, a total of 14 officers and sheriff's deputies, including three sergeants and a lieutenant, arrived at the scene. Officer Ventura approached Alzheimer from the driver's side and ordered him to keep his hands on the steering wheel where officers could see them. 
Officer Lawless stood several feet away behind Alzheimer's car on the right side. Is that what you're here for? I'm suspicious, right? Alzheimer asked. Officer Ventura explained that officers were there because Troyer had called. Alzheimer responded, I don't care what he called for. He's following me. Go talk to him. I am working. I'm a black man in a white neighborhood and I'm working. He told officers twice that Troyer was the one following him. Troyer waved his left hand out of the driver's side window of his Tahoe toward the officers. Troyer put his Tahoe in reverse and drove backward on North 27th Street, further away from Alzheimer's car. Troyer did not appear to have difficulty moving his vehicle. Officer Lawless ordered Alzheimer to stop reaching for things and to keep his hands visible. Two additional Tacoma police officers approached the front of the car on the passenger side, pointing flashlights toward Alzheimer. Police sirens were blaring in the distance. He just called saying that someone had threatened his life, Officer Ventura told Alzheimer, referring to Troyer. Yeah, I threatened his life because I walked up and asked why he was following me, Alzheimer responded. Officer Ventura told Alzheimer it was obvious he was a newspaper carrier because of all the newspapers stacked in the back seat of his car. He asked Alzheimer to step out and talk with him at the patrol vehicle. Alzheimer complied and was frisked for weapons. Asked if there had been a verbal altercation with Troyer, Alzheimer told Officer Ventura, he's following me. Alzheimer said he saw Troyer's vehicle come around the block for the third time while he was delivering newspapers. Alzheimer said he approached Troyer and asked why he was following him. As Alzheimer and Officer Ventura continued talking, other uniformed officers walked and stood nearby. Officer Ventura told Alzheimer, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. The reason there are so many cops here is because he's the sheriff. Alzheimer acknowledged knowing Troyer was a law enforcement officer, but he repeatedly denied making any threats toward him. Alzheimer said he felt threatened by Troyer following him. Alzheimer repeatedly asked if he could leave so he could finish his newspaper route. Nobody made no threats, he told Officer Ventura. That's a lie. If I made it, I'd tell you, but I didn't. In a subsequent interview with AGO investigators, Alzheimer denied ever entering Troyer's driveway or that he had blocked in Troyer's vehicle or vice versa. Five, Troyer's statements to Officer Lawless. Officer Lawless, who stood nearby as Officer Ventura interviewed Alzheimer, left to speak with Troyer. Officer Lawless reported that he specifically asked Troyer if Alzheimer made any threats toward him or displayed any weapons. Troyer told Officer Lawless that Alzheimer never threatened him. Further, Troyer said he did not observe Alzheimer with any weapons. Asked to explain what happened, Troyer told Officer Lawless that he was home asleep when he heard something outside. He described seeing Alzheimer driving his vehicle in and out of driveways in the neighborhood. Troyer said he got into his personal vehicle and tried to talk with Alzheimer. Troyer told Officer Lawless that when he confronted Alzheimer, it was clear 
Altimer wanted to fight. Officer Lawless informed Troyer that Altimer appeared to be a newspaper carrier and that he was working his regular route that morning. Troyer advised that we should let him go if that was the case, Officer Lawless wrote in his report. At 2.21 a.m., Officer Lawless told dispatch there was no apparent crime, meaning no victim, no threats to kill, no charges. Body camera video shows officers releasing Alzheimer from the scene so he could continue his newspaper route at 2.34 a.m. After reviewing the evidence in this case, AGO investigators attempted to interview Troyer about the events of January 27, 2021. Troyer declined repeated requests for an interview. Six, probable cause. The above information establishes probable cause that in Pierce County, Washington, on or about January 27, 2021, Edward Troyer committed the crimes of false reporting in violation of RCW 9A84040 and making a false or misleading statement to a public servant in violation of RCW 9A76175. The charge of false reporting is supported by evidence described above that on or about January 27, 2021, Troyer, one, initiated a report that included statements by Troyer that someone, now known to be Alzheimer, had just threatened to kill him and had Troyer blocked in with his vehicle. Two, knew the information was false. And three, knew the report would likely cause an emergency response. The charge of making a false or misleading statement to a public servant is supported by evidence described above that on or about January 27, 2021, Troyer, one, made false and or misleading statements to a public servant, 911 dispatcher Shadle, including that someone, now known to be Alzheimer, had threatened to kill him and had Troyer blocked in with his vehicle. Two, the false and or misleading statements were material i.e. Shadle likely relied on the false or misleading statements in the course of his duties as a police dispatcher, and three, knew the statements were material and false or misleading. We declare under penalty of perjury under the laws of the state of Washington that the foregoing is true and correct to the best of our knowledge. And that is the end of the probable cause statement. At this point, the case will continue to be prepared for a potential criminal trial. Okay, that is our end of part one, the misdemeanor charges filed against Sheriff Ed Troyer. We're gonna take a short break, and when we come back, we will read through the investigative report on civil issues facing Sheriff Troyer. Hello, friends. This is Marguerite Martin, creator of MoveToTacoma.com and co-founder of Channel 253. It's bad out there, folks. Home prices in Pierce County are up 15% year over year. While it's no secret that the market is hot, you may not know that Tacoma has been the hottest housing market in the country for several years. There is an extreme shortage of homes for buyers to buy. 
Having a local Tacoma buyer's agent that specializes in the neighborhood and price range you're after can mean the difference between losing or winning the bid on your dream home. If you're looking to sell your current home and find something that meets your needs better, having a neighborhood expert handle your listing will impact how much money you net off of your sale. The right agent to market and sell a home on the West Slope might not be the same person who has the expertise and connections to find you an income generating duplex somewhere else. All agents have specialties and I know the players for every niche. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything. Great local agents are happy to pay me a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling. And you can rest easy knowing you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. If you want to learn more, visit MoveToTacoma.com and use the contact form. Thanks for listening to Channel 253. This is part two of our reading through of charges and investigative reports into the conduct of Sheriff Ed Troyer. In this part, part two, I'm going to read through the investigative report that was just issued on October 26, 2021, by two attorneys at the law firm of Oreck Harrington and Sutcliffe, Brian Moran and Amanda McDowell. Uh, Brian Moran had been contracted to do a review and investigation um, of Ed Troyer's conduct related to the January 27th incident. I'm going to read through the report. One, executive summary. Applying a preponderance of the evidence standard, we find that Sheriff Ed Troyer violated several Pierce County Sheriff Department PCSD policies and standards when he followed and engaged in a confrontation with newspaper carrier Cedric Alzheimer on January 27, 2021. We are unable to substantiate Sheriff Troyer's claim that Mr. Alzheimer threatened to kill or harm him during that incident. We also find that a reasonable person could conclude that Sheriff Troyer exhibited an improper bias in his confrontation with Mr. Alzheimer. I'm gonna skip the background and the scope of work because that details what the investigators were asked to look at and skip to section three. Three, investigative process. We began our investigation on April 5, 2021. After we began our review on April 23, 2021, Governor Inslee directed the state attorney general to review the January 27 incident for potential criminal charges. After communicating with the chief criminal prosecutor in the attorney general's office, we paused our inquiry briefly to avoid any complications that could arise from parallel civil and criminal investigations. Once resumed, our investigation was independent of and separate from the investigation conducted by the state attorney general. In the course of our investigation, we conducted our own interviews reviewed summaries of interviews conducted by the Attorney General's office, conducted site visits, and reviewed numerous documents, including policies, procedures, 911 logs, 911 recordings, police reports, body-worn camera footage, and personnel records. We also reviewed numerous open source, publicly available media reports, interviews, and other materials. In addressing the relevant facts of the events of January 27, 2021, we described them below as A, 
chronology of events, and B, disputed facts and conclusions regarding disputed facts. We note that while the Tacoma police officers we contacted declined to be interviewed, we reviewed their reports. These reports answered most of the questions we would have asked in interviews. Mr. Alzheimer also declined to be interviewed. However, we obtained a copy of his interview with the Attorney General's office and then posed additional written questions to him through his counsel to seek clarification about his movements near Sheriff Troyer's residence. We received no response to this later request. Finally, given Sheriff Troyer's Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination, we had no good faith basis to subpoena him. This report is based on evidence available to us and is described above. There are instances where there may not be complete agreement between Sheriff Troyer's and Mr. Alzheimer's versions of events and where additional information could impact the findings we reach. However, most of the facts that are relevant and material to our inquiry are generally not in dispute, and when they are, they are addressed and resolved in Section 4. 4. Facts. A. Chronology of events. 1. Sheriff Troyer's decision to follow Mr. Alzheimer. On January 27, 2021, at approximately 2 a.m., Pierce County Sheriff Ed Troyer reports he was in his residence located in North Tacoma. At some point while he was in bed, lights from a vehicle drew his attention outside. From a window, he said he saw a vehicle in his driveway and his neighbor's driveways. Sheriff Troyer then left his residence and used his personal SUV to follow the car he had seen. He was not in uniform and left his home without his police credentials or other identifying police apparel or equipment. After following the vehicle for a short distance, the car being followed turned around and was positioned to face Sheriff Troyer's SUV, nose to nose, and approximately 10 to 20 feet away. The occupant of the vehicle, who was later identified by law enforcement as Cedric Alzheimer, exited his car, approached Sheriff Troyer's SUV, and asked Sheriff Troyer why he was following him. Moments later, in a call to 911 through an inside line, Sheriff Troyer described the vehicle he followed by its license plate number and make, but also added that it was a beat-up truck or old homeless-looking scion. He also described the occupant of the vehicle, later determined to be Mr. Alzheimer, as looking homeless and being in his neighbor's houses climbing all over and trying to get into my garage. Sheriff Troyer, who at all times remained in his SUV, stated to the 911 operator on at least three separate occasions that Mr. Alzheimer threatened to kill him, wants to kill him, or otherwise made threats against his life. Mr. Alzheimer asserts that when he approached Sheriff Troyer's SUV, he recognized him as a law enforcement officer and never threatened to harm him in any way. Sheriff Troyer's 911 call prompted a significant law enforcement response. Two of the deputy sheriffs who responded to the scene and spoke with Sheriff Troyer confirmed the information conveyed in their written reports, i.e., they responded from the South Hill area 
due to the emergent nature of the call. When they arrived on scene, they observed Tacoma Police Department, TPD, officers speaking with Mr. Alzheimer. And since TPD had jurisdiction over the investigation, they directed their attention to Sheriff Troyer. While their contacts with Sheriff Troyer were relatively brief, the deputies confirmed the sheriff was safe, did not want a security detail at his residence, and just wanted the matter to be concluded. When asked if they made any observations about Sheriff Troyer possibly being impaired, both stated that because of COVID masking and distancing requirements, clear signs of impairment were hard to detect. While he did not appear obviously impaired, both noted that Sheriff Troyer's speech was a little bit off. One of the deputies also explained that while Sheriff Troyer said he had been home prior to this incident occurring, this statement seemed at odds with his apparel. He was wearing a blazer, slacks, and shoes. Later, both deputies listened to Sheriff Troyer's 911 call. One deputy said his first thought was, holy cow, given the manner in which Sheriff Troyer was talking and how he was describing the events of that morning. The other deputy thought Sheriff Troyer sounded a little impaired, but also stated he didn't know Sheriff Troyer well enough to be certain. Mr. Alzheimer stated he was delivering newspapers in the usual course of his job near Sheriff Troyer's residence and first noticed that he was being followed after he left the area and was turning off of Vista View Drive and onto 23rd Street. This is roughly two blocks from the Troyer residence. Footnote one. Sheriff Troyer is not one of Mr. Alzheimer's customers. Mr. Alzheimer believed Sheriff Troyer's residence was occupied by a police officer based on the police vehicles he had seen there in the past. At some point in the vicinity of Narrows Drive, Mr. Alzheimer said that after leaving a paper at a customer's house, he then decided to approach the vehicle that had been following him, Sheriff Troyer's SUV. Mr. Alzheimer reports he walked up to the vehicle and asked Sheriff Troyer why he was being followed, stating, is it because I'm black? He also asked the sheriff if he was a police officer because he recognized him. According to Mr. Alzheimer, Sheriff Troyer replied, my wife is black, to which Mr. Alzheimer said, congratulations. Mr. Alzheimer said Sheriff Troyer then said, what are you doing out here? Do you know where you are? You're a porch pirate. Mr. Alzheimer said he then turned to walk away. Sheriff Troyer said, hey, don't walk away. I have four cops coming. To which Mr. Alzheimer replied, good. Mr. Alzheimer said he recognized Sheriff Troyer as a police officer as soon as he approached his SUV. Sheriff Troyer, as the former public information officer for the PCSD for many years, and the recently elected county sheriff, is a widely recognized Pierce County law enforcement official. Sheriff Troyer confirms that Mr. Alzheimer recognized him as a police officer. It does not appear that Mr. Alzheimer ever verbally identified himself to Sheriff Troyer as a newspaper carrier. There is, however, the possibility that as he followed Mr. Alzheimer, Sheriff Troyer could have seen Mr. Alzheimer delivering papers along his route. Mr. Alzheimer reports he got back in his car and hit the gas to get away from the area. Sheriff Troyer then did a U-turn and aggressively 
followed him to an area near Deidre's Circle. Footnote two. We were unable to clarify whether there were, in fact, two separate locations where the two men confronted one another, one occurring before Deidre's Circle and one at Deidre's Circle. However, the answer to this question is not particularly relevant to the issues we address in this room. From other reports and video footage, Mr. Alzheimer then turned his car around, again facing Sheriff Pryor's SUV, approximately 10 to 20 feet apart. He then exited his car, pulled out his phone, and began to take pictures of Sheriff Pryor's SUV. Around this time, Tacoma officers arrived and confronted Mr. Alzheimer at gunpoint. Two, the 911 call. Sheriff Troyer stated that he called 911 dispatch to obtain backup because Mr. Alzheimer was highly agitated, had threatened to kill him, knew where he lived, and he wanted to disengage and de-escalate the situation. The 911 recording is a contemporaneous record of the events at or very near in time to when they unfolded and provides a verbatim record of what Sheriff Troyer said about what he observed or believed he observed that morning. Sheriff Troyer began the call by identifying himself as Troyer and stated he was at 27th and Deidre. Thus, when Sheriff Troyer initiated the 911 call, he was already at the Deidre Circle location, and it appears that the verbal confrontation with Mr. Alzheimer had concluded. Put another way, Sheriff Troyer was not reporting the events of that morning in real time or as he was following Mr. Alzheimer. He had already stopped his SUV, and the 911 recording confirms any verbal exchange had already ended. More specifically, 13 seconds into the call, Sheriff Troyer reports that he caught someone in my driveway and he just threatened to kill me, and I blocked him in. He's here right now. Because of his experience as a long-serving law enforcement officer, he clearly would know that such a statement to a 911 operator about his life being threatened, with the alleged aggressor reportedly still present at the scene, would draw an immediate emergency response from law enforcement. That is precisely what occurred. 911 records and TPD reports establish that approximately 42 police units initially began to respond to Sheriff Troyer's 911 call. This included TPD, the law enforcement agency with jurisdiction where the events occurred, as well as responses from state, tribal, county, and other municipal law enforcement agencies, including Lakewood, Puyallup, and Fife. While the majority of responding officers were called off once TPD officers arrived and advised the 911 dispatcher they had the scene under control, a significant number of officers still arrived at the Deidre Circle location. Other parts of Sheriff Kerr's 911 call provide more insight into what the sheriff said he saw and suspected, as well as shedding some light on the exchange between he and Mr. Alzheimer. At various times in the 911 call, Sheriff Troyer reported, A, I caught someone in my driveway. He just threatened to kill me and I blocked him in. He's here right now. B, and he's in some gray car, and it was in my driveway and my neighbor's driveway, and he knows me, who I am, and he threatened to kill me. 
I got him blocked in. C. I think his plate is boy, hang on, boy, Williams, boy, five, seven, hang on. I really need just one or two people here at first. He's not going to let me leave. D. 911. Okay, does he have a gun or anything? Troyer. I have no idea. He looks homeless and his car was in my driveway. And I got in my car and then he was in my neighbor's driveway and he tried to get into my garage. So I've got him blocked in. E. He was in my neighbor's houses and climbing all over. F. He was driving some sort of a beat up truck, old, homeless looking scion. G. I tried to be polite to him. He just says, I'm a racist and he wants to kill me. So. H. I think he might have one of those garage door openers because he pulled into four or five different houses around the neighborhood and tried to hit the garage door opener button. I. And he tried everywhere else. So he's looking for me. J. I was home and saw the lights coming in and on and everything. And I looked and he was like pulling in all of the driveways. And I thought he was one of those guys that's a kind of thief that has a garage door opener. And so I went out to follow him. Okay. And so I went out and followed him and he blocked me off and accosted me and said, you're a cop and started threatening me. L. He literally blocked me in and see attachment A, transcription of 911 call. That this call prompted an all hands emergent response from fellow law enforcement officers in Tacoma and across the county is the least surprising part of our inquiry. Officers responding to this seemingly emergent and fluid series of events had only the most basic information and any inferences they could draw from this information, e.g. an aggressive person had threatened to kill the sheriff, had him blocked in, was still on the scene. Body camera footage and other records confirmed that numerous units and officers responded to the scene with emergency equipment activated and traveling at high speeds. The degree of danger this call and the predictable response posed to the officers and public was significant. But the danger this incident posed to Mr. Alzheimer is most concerning. It is not hyperbole to state that Mr. Alzheimer, who was initially secured at gunpoint, could have been just an unintentional or misperceived gesture away from serious harm or worse by responding officers. The professionalism of the officers who arrived on scene first is commendable. They too were put in a very difficult situation as a result of these events. When interviewed by TPD Officer Lawless within minutes of his arrival on scene, Sheriff Troyer, when specifically asked if he had been threatened by Mr. Alzheimer, stated that he had not been. Sheriff Troyer did say Mr. Alzheimer was angry and wanted to fight. See Attachment B, TPD Officer Lawless Report. That same morning, a Facebook exchange began at 9.30 a.m. 
between one of Sheriff Troyer's neighbors and the sheriff. Ed, this morning at about 2 a.m., you and a number of deputies from PC and TPD had a guy out of his car with lights going and seemingly no arrest. The guy later drove off on his own. Considering the number of units and officers on site, it seemed pretty serious. Can you tell me what happened? I live here, and it's not something that normally happened around here. Thanks, your neighbor. Sheriff Troyer replied on January 27th at 11.10 p.m. Hey, sorry for the late reply. The guy was driving in and out of driveways, stopped in street, and yelled at my house. When I looked out, he launched a newspaper at my house. I don't take the paper. He was anti-cop and stated he knew who I was, and he fled. I found him up the street in another driveway. He saw me and blocked me in. I called it in and wasn't expecting that massive response, but in today's world and my new job, who knows? The guy is active DOC status and says he was delivering papers for a friend. He was living out of his car, couldn't explain the driveway thing. They ID'd him and kicked him loose. Fifteen minutes later, he was in front of my house yelling again and tossed another paper and drive off. Odd. I know who he is and called the Tribune. Delivery in papers at 1.30 a.m.? Geez. Since making the 911 call, providing a statement to Officer Lawless within minutes of the 911 call, and the above exchange with his neighbor, Sheriff Troyer's version of events continued to evolve. On March 20th, 2021, during an interview on the Jason Rance show, Sheriff Troyer described that Mr. Alzheimer was upset and said some things to him that he interpreted as a threat on his life. But once he knew Mr. Alzheimer was delivering newspapers, he was willing to just let it go. Two days later, on March 22, 2021, when asked on the Dory Monson show if Mr. Alzheimer threatened to kill him, Sheriff Troyer said, the wording may have been different, but that Mr. Alzheimer threatened to take him out and he felt threatened. Still, Sheriff Troyer declined further action once it was established Mr. Alzheimer was a newspaper carrier. Sheriff Troyer also stated that he did not know Mr. Alzheimer's race when he began to follow him. For his part, Mr. Alzheimer has consistently maintained he did not threaten Sheriff Troyer, whom he recognized as a police officer upon approaching his SUV. This identification is confirmed by Sheriff Troyer. Mr. Alzheimer stated to the TPD officers at the scene, when asked if he had threatened the sheriff, I knew he was a fucking cop. No, what would I threaten him for? I feel threatened. I'm followed. Just because I walked up, inaudible. Nobody made no threats. That's a lie. If I made a threat, I would tell you, but I didn't. I didn't even go to him angry. I just wanted to know why he was following me. In the police body-worn camera footage from the scene, Mr. Alzheimer said he believed he was targeted by the sheriff because he was a black man in a nice neighborhood and driving a bucket. 
he was emphatic that he never threatened Sheriff Troyer, whom he recognized as a police officer, and maintained that Sheriff Troyer lied about being threatened when he called 911. While very agitated, Mr. Altimer was nonetheless compliant with the officer's requests and allowed them to search his car for weapons. The only object TPD located was a small knife used to cut the string on the newspapers he was delivering. B. Disputed facts and conclusions regarding disputed facts. While most of the events that occurred that morning are not in dispute, there are two relevant and material facts that are disputed. To resolve these disputes, we considered all of the available evidence and reasonable inferences from the evidence and applied a more probable than not or preponderance of the evidence standard and drew the following conclusions. Footnote three. A preponderance of the evidence is the standard of proof typically applied in a civil setting and means more probable than not. It is distinct from proof beyond a reasonable doubt that is required to secure a conviction in a criminal setting. One, when did Sheriff Troyer know Mr. Altimer's room? Mr. Altimer maintains Sheriff Troyer followed him because he was black. Sheriff Troyer denies that he knew Mr. Altimer's race when he began to follow him. There are only two witnesses available to help us determine whether Sheriff Troyer decided to follow Mr. Altimer, at least in part because he is a black man, Sheriff Troyer and Mr. Altimer. As noted above, Mr. Altimer declined to be interviewed and given Sheriff Troyer's Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, we had no legal basis to subpoena him. It is important to note that we did not draw any adverse inferences from either Mr. Altimer's or Sheriff Troyer's decision not to be interviewed. There are some things we do not fully know about the movements of the two men before the confrontation at the Deidre Circle location. For example, if, as Mr. Altimer claims, he was followed at least in part because he was black, it would be helpful to know if he was outside of his car or if his car was positioned in a way when it was near Sheriff Troyer's residence that would afford Sheriff Troyer the ability to determine his race before Sheriff Troyer started following him. Similarly, it would be important to know why Sheriff Troyer, who followed Mr. Altimer for several blocks, was unable to determine Mr. Altimer was a newspaper carrier when Mr. Altimer said he delivered papers to several customers between the Troyer residence and the Deidre Circle, where they eventually stopped. We do know that Mr. Altimer did not deliver a paper to the Troyer residence as part of his route. He also did not deliver papers to the two residences immediately across the street from the Troyer residence. From our view of the area, it would be difficult, if not impossible, to see anyone inside a car, and perhaps even outside of a car, at the neighbor's residences who did take the paper, given their location in relation to the Troyer residence. Sheriff Troyer's stated vantage point from inside his home and the lighting and time of day. A determination on this point is made more difficult by the sheriff's confusing and inconsistent statements about what he saw Mr. Altimer doing while near his house. According to some of the versions, Sheriff Troyer has told he saw Mr. Altimer out of his car, running all around in the neighbor's houses, in his driveway, 
and launching a newspaper at his residence before he started following him. Footnote 4. Mr. Altimer admits that he returned to the Troyer residence and threw a newspaper in his driveway after the altercation with Sheriff Troyer, but not before it. Sheriff Troyer has stated he did not know Mr. Altimer's race when he began to follow him and did not see him up close until they both stopped their vehicles near Deidre Circle. On balance, given the totality of the facts available to us, including Mr. Altimer's statements to the Attorney General's staff about his movements on his route that morning, we cannot find on a more probable than not basis that Sheriff Troyer knew Mr. Altimer's race at the time he began to follow Mr. Altimer's car. Importantly, as noted above, Sheriff Troyer began his 911 call by identifying himself as Troyer and stated he was at 27th and Deidre. The location from which this call was initiated is significant, as well as what is heard and not heard on the call. From the 911 Recording, it is clear that Sheriff Troyer initiated the 911 call from the Deidre Circle location. It is also clear from the recording that any verbal exchange between Mr. Altimer and Sheriff Troyer had already concluded. No other voices or background noise can be heard on the call. Sheriff Troyer speaks to the 911 dispatcher and no one else, and the call concludes when TPD arrives and Mr. Altimer is taken into custody. Thus, we conclude that when Sheriff Troyer initiated his call to 911, he knew Mr. Altimer was Black. At the same time, we note that even after Mr. Altimer approached Sheriff Troyer, as he remained seated in his SUV and was still on the 911 call, Sheriff Troyer did not physically describe the person who he said was threatening to kill him. This seems to run contrary to common sense and accepted police procedure. An officer whose life is being threatened would presumably want to describe the aggressor's physical characteristics and clothing, and not just the car he or she was driving. The 911 operator also did not ask the sheriff to describe his aggressor. Two, did Mr. Altimer threaten to kill Sheriff Troyer? Mr. Altimer has consistently maintained he did not threaten to kill or harm Sheriff Troyer, whom he said he quickly recognized as a police officer, though not necessarily as the sheriff. Sheriff Troyer states repeatedly in his 911 call that Mr. Altimer threatened to kill him, but then contradicted these statements minutes later when being interviewed by TPD Officer Lawless. There is no question that Mr. Altimer was visibly upset and angry when talking to the Tacoma officers on scene, as confirmed by the body camera footage. This raises questions as to his assertion to the Attorney General's office that he was not agitated during his confrontation with Sheriff Troyer minutes earlier. But, though visibly agitated, Mr. Altimer complied with the officer's request within minutes of his confrontation with Sheriff Troyer. For Mr. Altimer to have threatened someone he recognized as a police officer, it follows he could also reasonably assume such threats might very well carry potential liability for him, and quite possibly criminal liability. 
Footnote five. We are aware that at the time of these events, Mr. Altimer was on supervision by the Department of Corrections, DOC, for prior criminal conduct. His past criminal history did not play a role in our determination of his credibility on this occasion. But it may follow that given his active supervision status, he would be less likely to threaten to kill someone he recognized as a law enforcement officer, since that would almost certainly have serious and rapid consequences for him as a DOC supervisee. Sheriff Troyer told the 911 operator that Mr. Alzheimer threatened to kill me and wants to kill me. These statements were made close in time to when they were allegedly uttered by Mr. Alzheimer and when the precise words used would be easiest to recall and repeat by Sheriff Troyer to the 911 dispatcher. Minutes later, however, when interviewed by TPD officer Lawless, Sheriff Troyer contradicted the statements he made on the 911 call. I specifically asked O1 Troyer if O2 Alzheimer ever made threats toward him or displayed any weapons. O1 Troyer advised O2 Alzheimer never threatened him and he did not observe O2 Alzheimer with any weapons. O1 Troyer described that when he confronted O2 Alzheimer at the listed address, it was clear he wanted to fight. See attachment B, TPD Officer Lawless Report. We find Officer Lawless's report to be a reliable and credible source of Sheriff Troyer's statements that morning. Officer Lawless would know he was investigating a possible crime against a public official, and the specific words used could be critical in assessing whether a criminal offense had occurred, and if so, the seriousness of the potential crime. Footnote 6. RCW 9A46020 provides that a threat to cause bodily harm immediately or in the future can constitute a gross misdemeanor crime or a Class C felony if the threat is to kill the person being threatened. In both instances, the aggressor must place the person being threatened by words or conduct in reasonable fear that the threat will be carried out. Sheriff Troyer would also know that a threat made to kill him would be a potential criminal offense. And he was undoubtedly aware of why he was being questioned by Officer Lawless on that point. In addition, Sheriff Troyer's versions of events to his neighbor and during at least two media interviews materially deviate from the statements he made on the 911 call. In the version given to the media, Mr. Altimer said some words and wanted to take him out. And the sheriff interpreted the words as a threat and stated that he felt threatened. In sum, Sheriff Troyer has given at least three different versions of what happened that morning. A, Mr. Altimer explicitly threatened to kill him, the 911 call. B, Mr. Alzheimer never threatened him, TPD lawless report. 
and C, while the wording was different, Sheriff Troyer felt threatened by Mr. Alzheimer in the Monson Rance interviews. Versions A and B were made very close in time and cannot both be true. While there are degrees of threat possible as to an explicit threat to kill being made, Sheriff Troyer affirmatively stated to a fellow officer that he had not been threatened just minutes after his 911 call. And later still, that Mr. Alzheimer said some things to him that he interpreted as a threat. Mr. Alzheimer denied threatening Sheriff Troyer in any way. On balance, and based on all the evidence available to us, we conclude on a more probable than not basis that Mr. Alzheimer did not threaten to kill or otherwise harm Sheriff Troyer that morning. Five, other incidents involving Sheriff Troyer and Mr. Alzheimer. We reviewed additional and unrelated incidents involving Sheriff Troyer occurring after January 1, 2020. The first occurred on November 11, 2020 at Sheriff Troyer's campaign office. And the second occurred sometime in January, 2020 and involved a traffic stop in the north end of Tacoma near Sheriff Troyer's residence. Additionally, we have witnesses identified to us who provided information about past incidents purportedly involving Mr. Alzheimer. The information concerning these incidents is reported here because it may inform some of the events of January 27, 2021. A, Sheriff Troyer. November 11, 2020, campaign headquarter incident. On November 11, 2020, an incident occurred at Sheriff Troyer's former election campaign office located at 2525 North Stevens in Tacoma, Washington. At approximately 10.30 p.m., Sheriff Troyer called 911 and asked if they had a unit I can get priority to to come to his address to assist with a car prowl he had interrupted and a little skirmish he had with the two suspects. In the 46 second 911 call, Sheriff Troyer repeated that he needed just one car to respond. Thus, the sheriff clearly communicated to the 911 dispatcher that while he was requesting a unit priority, the matter was not life-threatening or emergent. Several officers were dispatched and responded, but apparently because Sheriff Troyer deemed the matter as having been resolved before Tacoma officers arrived, no report was written about the matter until March 23, 2021, after the January 27, 2021 incident became public. See Attachment C, TPD Officer Pinkerton Report. That evening, Sheriff Troyer and his wife were in his election office when he saw a vehicle pull up next to their personal car. The driver got out of the car and entered Sheriff Troyer's car. He described this man as a black male in his 20s and having tattoos on his arms and wearing a hoodie. Sheriff Troyer immediately went outside, confronted the man who had entered his car, and proceeded to wrestle the items he had taken from their car out of his hands.
one of the items was Sheriff Troyer's wife's wallet, containing her driver's license, credit cards, and approximately $85. Sheriff Troyer's wife later noted that her wallet had been unzipped, but none of the contents were missing. The theft of a credit card could potentially constitute a felony theft or attempted theft of an access device. See Revised Code of Washington, RCW 9856-0401D. After this initial confrontation, Sheriff Troyer stated, the man taking his wife's wallet seemed apologetic and said words to the effect of, I'm sorry, here, just take the stuff back. Sheriff Troyer described the second man in the passenger seat as a black male in his 20s wearing dark clothing. This man never left the suspect vehicle. As the two suspects were leaving, Sheriff Troyer described hearing something being said about his being a police officer, which he attributed as the reason why the first man, driver, seemed apologetic. Sheriff Troyer and his wife were able to obtain cell phone photographs of the suspect's car its license plate, describe its occupants as black males, and attempted to photograph the suspects who hid their faces. We were provided with these photographs and video of the scene from across a parking lot. And while blurry and taken from a distance, they corroborate Sheriff Troyer's version of events. As they left the scene, Sheriff Troyer heard the car accelerate at a high rate of speed and called 911 to request one unit respond priority in case the suspects came back. In fact, several Tacoma police officers responded and canvassed the area without success in locating the suspects. While the officers were able to determine that evening who the registered owner of the suspect vehicle was, that owner was clearly not in his 20s, as Sheriff Troyer and his wife both described the suspects and the car's owner was ruled out as a suspect. There does not appear to have been any follow-up with the registered owner of the vehicle to identify who the two subjects might have been who were using his car. We reviewed this matter because there has been some speculation that Sheriff Troyer's actions that evening may have been motivated, at least in part, because the two subjects were black. We find no facts to support this speculation. The two suspects are unknown. The facts of what occurred that evening are currently undisputed. The two eyewitnesses to the event describe the suspects as black males, and photos and videos of the incident support Sheriff Troyer's and his wife's statements about the incident. January 2020 traffic stop. Sometime in January 2020, at approximately 5.30 p.m., a 79-year-old retiree, M.H., reported that he was driving along North Jackson and North Narrows Drive in the north end of Tacoma when he noticed a vehicle ahead of him approaching a T intersection at a pretty good clip. Because M.H. had the right-of-way and was concerned the driver might not see him and roll through the stop sign, M.H. flashed his high beams once or twice to alert the driver to his presence. As he passed by the intersection, M.H. noticed the vehicle was a police car. The police car turned to follow M.H. as he drove by and activated its emergency equipment, signaling for him to pull over. M.H. turned onto a side street and stopped his car. 
as the officer approached MH's car, he noticed immediately that it was recently elected Sheriff Troyer who had stopped him. MH, who had never met the sheriff, said words to the effect of, congratulations on the promotion and being elected sheriff, Ed. MH said that this seemed to catch Sheriff Troyer off guard, and the sheriff then cautioned MH about flashing his high beams at cars, advising him that while it was safe to do that in the neighborhood where they were located, doing so in another place might get him shot. As an initial proposition, the basis for believing that in some neighborhoods one is more likely to get shot for flashing one's headlights at another driver is hard to understand. Accepting as true that some parts of the city and county may be more dangerous than others, Sheriff Troyer's statement fails to account for the fact that cars and the bad actors driving them are mobile and not confined to just the bad parts of the city or county. M.H. was taken aback at the stated reason for the stop and wondered about the legality and judgment of a police officer pulling someone over for simply flashing their headlights as a warning. He posed this question to a friend who had previously served as a deputy sheriff with Pierce County. M.H.'s friend brought the matter to our attention because he also questioned the sheriff's judgment, if not the legality, for the basis of the stop. It is unclear that flashing one's headlights in this manner constitutes an infraction, since at least some definitions of oncoming car under the relevant statute suggest that both cars be moving toward or approaching one another. Footnote 7, RCW 4637-230 provides, whenever a driver of a vehicle approaches an oncoming vehicle within 500 feet, such driver shall use a distribution of light or composite beam, so aimed that the glaring rays are not projected into the eyes of the oncoming driver. That aside, Sheriff Troyer's intent in detaining MH was apparently not grounded in a belief that MH had committed an infraction, but rather in the sheriff's desire to exert his authority and make a point, or in the best possible light, communicate a public safety message. The point being that while M.H. was not particularly offended by the interaction, he stated what is perhaps the most insightful comment we heard during the course of our inquiry. How would I feel if I were pulled over for this kind of thing and I were a black man? B. Mr. Altimer. Sheriff Troyer provided us with several potential witnesses who reportedly contacted him about Mr. Altimer's conduct as a newspaper carrier, and who Sheriff Troyer believed might provide relevant information to us. All witnesses were interviewed, and the information they provided to us painted an unflattering picture of a newspaper carrier they believe was Mr. Altimer. Footnote 8. The degree of certainty that the newspaper carrier observed was Mr. Altimer varied. But where there was no positive identification, their description of his physical appearance in car, coupled with the fact that all of them observed the person engaged in delivering newspapers in the Vista View Drive area and other factors, leads us to conclude that the person they observed was likely Mr. Altimer. 
In one instance, a newspaper carrier left a paper at customer MG's residence, located near the Troya residence, but was also seen trying a door handle of a car in the driveway, peering through the front door of the residence, and then urinating in a nook on the porch. This occurred in the early morning hours of January 2019, and the neighbor across the street captured these events on her ring doorbell in addition to viewing the activity from her window. The neighbor confirmed that she believed the carrier was Mr. Alzheimer. Footnote 9. This witness had approximately three videos of activity occurring across the street at MG's house, but she retained only one. On another occasion, a couple awoke very early in the morning for a trip, and as they were leaving their residence, they saw a car in their neighbor's driveway they didn't recognize. Their home is several blocks from the Troyer residence. Because they were concerned for their elderly neighbor, they followed the subject vehicle long enough to determine that it was being driven by a newspaper carrier. The driver then turned his car around and drove by them very slowly rolled his window down, and made a face at them. It was at this time they were first able to see the driver was a black male. Early the next morning, the couple heard a knock on their door, and when they answered, there was a newspaper in their driveway, even though they did not have a subscription. On a third occasion, J.H. and his wife, B.H., were returning from a holiday event occurring in approximately January or February 2020. As they pulled into their driveway at approximately 2.30 a.m. near 35th and Orchard, they noticed an unknown and occupied car with its lights off parked in their elderly neighbor's driveway. J.H. typically parked one of his construction trucks in the neighbor's driveway, not only because he needed the space for the truck, but because it also helped his neighbor's residence appear like it was occupied by a working-aged person. A.H. and D.H. watched the car for a while because they were concerned the occupant may have been trying to steal tools out of his truck. The car then left and drove down the street with its lights still off, and J.H. and D.H. followed at a distance until it pulled into another driveway, two to three blocks from their residence. At this point, D.H. asked J.H. to take her home. After taking his wife home, J.H. returned to the second driveway and saw the car was gone. He circled the neighborhood and then located the car in a third driveway with its brake lights on. At this point, the car in the driveway pulled alongside J.H.'s car, and J.H. rolled down his window to ask him what he was doing. For the first time, J.H. could see that the person driving was a black male and that there was a female in the passenger seat. J.H. asked the driver what he was doing and was told to mind your fucking business and to fuck off. The driver then got out of his car and walked to J.H.'s car with his hand under his sweatshirt in a manner that appeared to J.H. that he was concealing a weapon. J.H., who has a concealed weapons permit, pulled his firearm out and put it on his lap because he interpreted the driver's actions as being extremely aggressive. As he approached J.H.'s vehicle, the driver continued to swear at him and accused J.H. of harassing me because I'm black. J.H. replied that he had no idea what race he was or anything else about him, and he started following him. He was merely concerned for his neighbor, and he knew the papers were usually delivered around 5 a.m. 
footnote 10. In a later conversation with J.H., the newspaper carrier stated that they had recently altered the time of the deliveries to begin earlier in the morning. The driver then pulled a newspaper out from under his sweatshirt, threw it in the driveway, and drove off. The following morning, J.H. and C.H. were awakened by loud banging on their door. J.H. and C.H. described it as the kind of knock that means something might be wrong. So J.H. again obtained his weapon and went to the door. Upon seeing it was the newspaper carrier from the previous morning, he put his weapon away and then tried to catch up to him so they could talk about what had happened the previous morning. J.H. said to him that if he had known he was a newspaper carrier, he would never have followed him. The newspaper carrier replied by throwing a paper in his driveway, said, compliments of the TNT, and drove off. Two or three mornings later, J.H. again heard a knock on their door, but this time it was a less forceful knock. At the door, J.H. was greeted by the same newspaper carrier who offered him a free trial subscription to the paper. J.H., who has worked with youth in the past, told the young man they needed to talk, and they sat on the front lawn and spoke for about 15 minutes. J.H. impressed upon him how his aggressive actions and demeanor had almost gotten him shot that first morning, and that he couldn't go through life acting that way. The newspaper carrier seemed remorseful and told J.H. he was under a great deal of stress, and that the woman who had been with him was his pregnant girlfriend. At some point, the conversation turned to the newspaper carrier's need for an infant car seat, and J.H. offered him two car seats his family no longer needed. The newspaper carrier returned a few days later to pick them up. J.H. and C.H. have been active in Crime Stoppers and other public-private organizations with law enforcement connections. Shortly after the January 27, 2021 incident involving Sheriff Troyer, J.H. was at an event with Ed. The sheriff mentioned to J.H. that he had engaged in an unusual interaction with the newspaper carrier just a day or two before and described seeing a man near his neighbor's houses and then following him to determine what he was doing. J.H. did not mention his experience with the newspaper carrier he had come in contact with a year earlier because he didn't believe they were related in any way. However, when the media began reporting the January 27, 2021 incident, J.H. saw the reports and immediately recognized the newspaper carrier he had encountered as Cedric Altimer. From these events, we conclude that Mr. Altimer has previously engaged in inappropriate and at times aggressive behavior when he perceives he falls under suspicion in the course of doing his job. The conduct attributed to him by some of these witnesses who encountered him while delivering papers is qualitatively similar to the aggressive conduct attributed to him by Sheriff Troyer. Footnote 11. We have no evidence that Sheriff Troyer was aware of any of these incidents at the time of his confrontation with Mr. Altimer. Six, analysis of standards, policies, and laws to the facts. A, deviation from policies and standards. There are a number of policies in the Pierce County Sheriff's Department, PCSD, policy manual that touch on aspects of the exchange between Sheriff Troyer and Mr. Altimer. These policies address standards of conduct required of all Sheriff Department employees. 
as a preliminary matter, employees of the Sheriff's Department are required to know the policies that touch on their respective job classification, work they perform, and activities they engage in. Policy Manual 106.5. Given his position in the department and role in approving all policies, Sheriff Troyer can be presumed to know and abide by the policies in his department's manual. One, policy 386, off-duty law enforcement actions. Policy 386 addresses the policies and standards governing and limiting off-duty law enforcement activities by deputy sheriffs. The decision to become involved in a law enforcement action when off-duty can place a law enforcement deputy and others at great risk and must be done with careful consideration. Policy Manual 386.1. As a guiding principle, initiating law enforcement is generally discouraged. Deputies should not attempt to initiate enforcement actions when witnessing minor crimes, such as suspected intoxicated drivers, reckless driving, or minor property crimes. However, off-duty officers may take reasonable action to minimize the imminent threat of bodily injury or death or significant property damage. Finally, Policy 386 cautions that even in instances where public safety or the prevention of major property damage requires immediate action, deputies should first consider reporting and monitoring the activity. Policy Manual 386.2. In one statement attributed to Sheriff Troyer, he said that he was just observing suspicious behavior as any other citizen might do. But Policy 386 presents a purely binary standard for PCSD deputies. A sheriff deputy is either on duty or he or she is off duty. There is no third category of acting as any other citizen might contemplated under this policy. Thus, if off-duty, a deputy sheriff must adhere to the relevant policies regarding off-duty investigative activity. Additionally, Sheriff Troyer's suggestion that he was following policy because he was just monitoring Mr. Alzheimer's alleged suspicious conduct is similarly violative of policy 386. A deputy's ability to intervene or monitor criminal activity is specifically limited to those instances where public safety or the prevention of major property damage requires immediate action. Here, neither of these factors was present. Some questionable observations viewed from a distance about crimes that might be underway does not rise to this level. In sum, Sheriff Troyer violated both the letter and spirit of PCSD Policy 386. Two, Policy 402, Bias-Based Policing. The Pierce County Council's scope of work requested, to the extent possible, the investigation is to resolve disputed facts and versions and include investigation of motivations and states of mind of those involved, including potential biases or prejudices. Policy 402 
provides guidance to department members that affirms the Pierce County Sheriff's Department's commitment to policing that is fair and objective. Policy Manual 402.1. Racial or bias-based policing is that which improperly relies on characteristics such as race, ethnicity, national origin, religion, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, economic status, age, cultural group, disability, or affiliation with any non-criminal group, protected characteristics, as the basis for providing differing law enforcement service or enforcement than would otherwise be provided. Policy Manual 402.1.1. Sheriff Troyer's 911 call leaves little doubt about two factors determinations we have made. One, Mr. Alzheimer's perceived economic status may have played a role in the sheriff's decision to initially focus his attention on Mr. Alzheimer. Two, Sheriff Troyer knew Mr. Alzheimer was a Black man before he made his 911 call. Turning to the first factor, while it is not improper to use descriptors that may touch on a protected characteristic, i.e., the suspect is an Asian male, the car is old and damaged. It is improper to characterize Mr. Alzheimer as appearing to be homeless or driving a car that a homeless person would drive. The 911 transcript reflects that after providing Mr. Alzheimer's license plate information, Sheriff Troyer gratuitously described Mr. Alzheimer and his vehicle as follows. He looks homeless in his car, and he was driving a beat-up truck, old, homeless-looking vehicle. Implicit in these statements is the biased belief that because someone looks homeless or is driving an older, beat-up car, they are more likely to commit crimes. In other words, Sheriff Troyer is not using these phrases as descriptive terms, but as facts to support his initial and mistaken belief that there was a crime afoot. What role, if any, Mr. Alzheimer's race played in Sheriff Troyer's decision to call 911 is much harder to assess. Unlike the statements he made about Mr. Alzheimer's physical description, that he looks homeless, and was driving a old homeless looking car, Sheriff Troyer makes no mention of Mr. Alzheimer's race on the 911 call, nor is he asked by the 911 dispatcher to describe the man. But that is not conclusive. People with biases and prejudices do not generally manifest them openly if they are aware of them, and in fact may seek to conceal them. In his public statements, Sheriff Troyer has stated he called 911 because Mr. Alzheimer was extremely angry, threatened to take him out, knew he was a police officer, never identified himself as a newspaper carrier, and knew where he lived. Whether Sheriff Troyer, if confronted with the identical conduct and under identical circumstances involving a white male, would have called 911 is unknowable by us. 
we find by a preponderance of the available evidence that Sheriff Troyer engaged in conduct that his department expressly forbids, employing an economic bias to support his mistaken belief that Mr. Alzheimer must be engaged in criminal activity. Sheriff Troyer, therefore, violated policy 402. Three, policy 340.3.5, standards of conduct, performance. Policy 340.3.5 sets forth numerous ways in which a department employee's act may be deemed deficient. While a few of these items touch on Sheriff Troyer's performance indirectly, 340.3.5 encapsulates his performance on January 27, 2021. Any other conduct which an employee knows or reasonably should know is unbecoming a member of the department or which is contrary to good order, efficiency, or morale or which tends to reflect unfavorably upon the department or its members. Based on the foregoing, we also conclude Sheriff Troyer violated policy 340.3.5. Four, policy 203, department management. Policies 203.11 and point thirteen address standards for how employees are expected to engage with the community they serve. Notably, 203.11, community relations. Community relations are based upon the principle that in a democratic society, the police are an integral and indivisible element of the public they serve. Community relations are manifested by positive interaction between the people and the police and represents their unity and common purpose. 203.13, role of the individual officer and employee. In dealing with people, each officer and employee must attempt to make his contact one which inspires respect for himself as an individual and professional, and one which generates the cooperation and approval of the public. While entitled to his personal beliefs, an officer or employee cannot allow his individual feelings or prejudices to enter into public contacts. Based on the foregoing, we also conclude Sheriff Troyer failed to abide by policies 203.11 and point thirteen. B. Violations of criminal law. In the scope of work, we were asked to address the question of whether Sheriff Troyer violated any laws and specifically any criminal laws. As we noted above, the state attorney general was tasked by the governor with addressing this specific issue, and we have their answer to this question. On October 19, 2021, Sheriff Troyer was charged criminally with violating RCW 9A84040 false reporting, and RCW 9A76175, making a false or misleading statement to a public servant. The Attorney General has issued a statement of probable cause to support these charges, and ultimately, his office will be held to a burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt to prove one or both offenses. 
it would therefore be inappropriate for us to elaborate or comment on this pending legal matter. Seven, recommendations. A, disciplinary consequences. We have been asked to opine if we did find a violation of any standard policy or law, what sanctions might follow any violations if they had been committed by a deputy sheriff. Pierce County Sheriff Department Policies 339, 340, 341, and 1020 govern the rights and responsibilities attendant to discipline and standards of conduct by Pierce County Sheriff's Department employees. These policies are comprehensive and are designed to address the handling and disposition of complaints lodged against deputy sheriffs. Relevant here, policy 339.2 provides that an employee's off-duty conduct shall be governed by this policy to the extent that it is related to acts that may materially affect or arise from the employee's ability to perform official duties or to the extent that it may be indicative of unfitness for his slash her position. While comprehensive, there are two things these policies do not address. One, the kind or degree of sanction to be imposed when an allegation is deemed founded or sustained, and two, allegations of misconduct committed by the county sheriff. In the absence of any predetermined penalties in policy, we rely on those factors that a law enforcement employer would typically rely on in determining an appropriate sanction for misconduct that is sustained. While not exclusive, these factors include, one, the employment history of the deputy sheriff, including any instances of prior sustained misconduct or discipline. Two, the number, nature, and seriousness of the sustained allegations. Three, the impact or potential impact of the misconduct on the department, departmental employees, and others, including the public or the deputy sheriff's acceptance of responsibility and remorse, and five, consideration of any special circumstances that may lessen or increase the culpability of the employee's misconduct. Sheriff Troyer has a long history of service with the department, and his personnel records show several commendations and few complaints. One complaint was sustained after an extensive internal affairs review, and it related to failing to bring his assigned police car in for regularly scheduled service, for which he was informally counseled. As reported by the media and acknowledged by Sheriff Troyer, while one other complaint was unfounded, he was cautioned in an October 2015 memorandum by then-Sheriff Pastor about leaving his department vehicle outside a bar all evening. Sheriff Pastor affirmed that there had been no policy violation, but directed then Detective Troyer to be more aware of how his actions might appear to the public. There are three significant parts to the disciplinary analysis we have been asked to address. One, discussed in detail above, is that Sheriff Troyer gave two versions of important events extremely close in time, on the 911 call and to Officer Lawless, 
that are diametrically opposed and cannot both be true. Thus, we concluded he was either untruthful on the 911 call or he was untruthful to Officer Lawless, who was investigating a potential crime. Two, Sheriff Troyer exhibited bias in his decision-making. This not only violates PCSD policy, but it strikes at the very heart of fair and just policing. Finally, Sheriff Troyer's 911 call created an all-hands, highly emergent and fluid series of events. The potential for harm to Mr. Alzheimer, responding officers, and the general public was significant. Being mindful that the range of discipline available to an elected sheriff when disciplining a deputy lies somewhere on a continuum between no discipline and termination from employment. We conclude Sheriff Troyer's conduct and the results of that conduct lie at very far end of the seriousness scale of that continuum. Ironically, the appropriate level of discipline would reside with Sheriff Troyer, the very person whose judgment in these matters has been called into question. B, Brady and Criminal Justice Training Commission referrals. Given the nature of our findings above, we make two additional recommendations. Because we have concluded that Sheriff Troyer's versions of events are contradictory as they relate to the alleged threat to kill, we recommend that the council provide a copy of this report to Pierce County Prosecuting Attorney Mary Robnett. Her office may want to determine if Sheriff Troyer's conduct should be disclosed as a potential impeachment evidence to defense counsel whenever he is a witness for the prosecution under the holding in Brady v. Maryland, 373 U.S. 83, 1963. We are aware the Pierce County Prosecutor's Office has very rigorous protocols for addressing Brady information, and it seems appropriate that they do so in this matter. We do not suggest anything in our report binds that separate and distinct factual and legal determination, only that their office be apprised of our findings. In addition, ICW 43-101-105 provides the Washington State Criminal Justice Training Commission, CJTC, with authority to suspend, deny, or revoke a Washington law enforcement officer's police commission, and with it, the ability to hold a position as police officer under certain conditions. We recommend that this report be referred to the CJTC for any action they deem appropriate. C. Oversight recommendation. We were also asked to provide appropriate recommendations for oversight or other procedures that could prevent or discourage similar misconduct in the future by any person serving as sheriff. We are aware of a debate about whether county sheriffs in Washington should be elected or appointed, and that a July 27, 2021 Pierce County Council vote to put this issue on the ballot did not pass. Thus, Pierce County voters will continue to elect their sheriff. We have no opinion about this political question, and nothing that follows should be interpreted as commenting on that question. 
Ultimately, while Sheriff Troyer may be above the reach of his department's disciplinary policies in terms of its organizational chart, he is not beyond accountability under our state laws and constitution. Noted above, Sheriff Troyer has been charged criminally with false reporting and making a false or misleading statement to a public servant. If convicted of any felony or malfeasance in office, the penalties shall entail, in addition to such other penalty as may be imposed, the forfeiture of his or her office and shall disqualify him or her from ever after holding any public office in this state. CRCW 992-120 and 4220. Until his criminal matter is resolved, it is unknown if Sheriff Troyer will forfeit his office and the ability to hold public office again. Of course, an official standing for election must ultimately prevail by majority vote in that election. As provided for in the Pierce County Charter, Article 5, the public interest, the public also retains the ability to recall its county elected officials as provided by the Constitution and laws of the state of Washington. Pierce County Charter, Article 5, Section 580. Article 1, Section 33 of the State Constitution and Revised Code of Washington, 29A56110, provides for recall of an elected official when there has been a violation of the oath of office, misfeasance, or malfeasance in the performance of the official's duties. As in an election, the recall process allows the public to exercise oversight of its elected officials and on a timeline that is not tied to an election cycle. Thus, while an elected county sheriff may not be subject to his or her department's policies, he or she may still be held accountable for alleged misconduct that does not require conviction of a certain class of criminal offense. We readily acknowledge that these various means of accountability are neither swift nor certain. But because an elected sheriff is essentially hired by the majority of the voting public as part of a political process, it follows that the same should hold true in order for the sheriff to be fired, absent conviction of a felony or other crime involving malfeasance in office. Eight, conclusion. Policing is a difficult profession in the best of times, and these are not the best of times, especially when it comes to relations between police and communities of color. In order to do their jobs, officers are given an extraordinary amount of authority and discretion to exercise that authority when they interact with the public. In addition to specialized equipment and training, the public provides officers to carry out their duties the public gives them something even more important, its trust. The public trusts that police officers will discharge their responsibilities wisely and without bias, exercise good judgment at all times, not just most times, adhere to the law and their department's policies, and be truthful. Sheriff Troyer's actions on January 27, 2021, and in the incident involving MH, also occurring in January 2021, failed to meet these standards. 
Had Sheriff Troyer exercised good judgment and followed his department's policies, he could have simply remained at home and made a non-emergent call to 911 about his suspicions, however wrong they ultimately proved to be. But he did not. And as a result, he put others at risk and fell short of meeting the public's and his department's expectations of how its employees should do their job. Ultimately, Sheriff Troyer's actions will likely be addressed first in the criminal justice setting. If convicted of a felony or a crime involving malfeasance in office, he could be barred from office. Outside of the criminal case that is now pending, Sheriff Troyer was elected by the public and answers to them. It remains to be seen if his lapses in judgment will prevent him from regaining the public's trust and what consequences there may be for him personally and, by extension, the department he was entrusted by voters to lead. Dated this 26th day of October, 2021, Brian T. Moran, Amanda McDowell. Well, that's it. That is the complete investigative report. And I leave you listeners to draw your own conclusions about what is happening with our sheriff and the sheriff's office. If you have thoughts on this, and want to give me some feedback, you can contact me by email, truetacoma at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at true underscore Tacoma. Thank you. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.